The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Greetings and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire Podcast, presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It in the Ring Network. My guest on this episode is a copy editor and feature writer at The Ring Magazine, Mr. Ryan Songalia. We spoke about how Ryan and his family are trying to cope with the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, as we all are. Uh, we also got into his uh, background in boxing, including writing for Boxing Digest, the New York Daily News, Rappler.com in the Philippines, as well as his time at The Ring. Uh, we'll also discuss his latest article in The Ring, COVID-19 isn't the first pandemic to halt boxing. Uh, it's about how the Spanish uh, flu pandemic of 1918 affected boxing and the world at large. And uh, Ryan and I get into you know what lessons we can draw from that. Um, we also got into the effects the pandemic has had on fighters and managers and, and boxing gyms here in the U.S. and around the world. It was a really great conversation. Um, really hope you enjoy. It's my pleasure to welcome as my guest on this episode, uh, copy editor, features writer at The Ring. He actually uh, edits my pieces as well. Uh, freelance reporter for ESPN as well. I want to welcome to the uh, e- Boxing Esquire podcast, Mr. Ryan Songalia. How are you, Ryan? I'm very good, sir. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, man. Yeah, definitely uh, excited to have you on uh, You know, during this crazy time. And uh, you wrote a really interesting and relevant article for The Ring entitled uh, COVID-19 uh, isn't the first pandemic to halt boxing. Uh, you know, you did some research on uh, the Spanish flu of uh, 1918, how it affected the sport. Really good article. I, I highly encourage Thank people you. to read it at The Ring. Um, but first, just let me ask you how you and your family are, are doing uh, during this time of crisis, man. What, what are you guys, uh, how are you guys coping? Well, we're doing the best that we can under these circumstances. They're obviously unprecedented in our lifetimes. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's me, my wife, and my young daughter, Emma. So we're uh, just trying to uh, stay still. I mean, as of a few minutes ago, New York State is, uh, quote, unquote, on pause. You know, I live in New York, obviously. And, um, you know, just trying to stay healthy and uh, wishing the best for everyone out there. And hopefully, hopefully uh, we'll all get through this together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I have, uh, two daughters as well. And, um, you know, at first they were pretty psyched because they didn't have to go to school, <laughs> but now they're, they're like, uh, you know, now school's, uh, getting back in session and, uh, and they're definitely getting a ton of cabin fever, but, um, but yeah, I mean, they also understand that, you know, it's, this is very serious. Uh, you know, people are dying and getting very sick. So that's, that's, you know, we all have to be, uh, very cautious very you got tougher time. than I do because my daughter's not a uh, school age yet. So uh, you, uh, I, I guess you have uh, some homeschooling and things of that nature <laughs> you have to handle. But luckily, I don't have to deal with it yet. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the Department of Education's really had to. I mean, you know, obviously we where we live in this great age of technology where you can kind of do things virtually. You know, almost anything. Um, but, uh, yeah, the DOE is kind of scrambling and, and I, I still am unclear as to how they're going to do this thing. It seems like some, some teachers are going to lecture and, and you're going to be able to, you know, hear the lectures. Others are just kind of, 
sending out like YouTube videos for the kids to study and, and having slide presentations and maybe having some office hours where, where the kids can ask questions. But I don't know. To me, I'm like, you know, if, you, if you're sending them to YouTube, why don't you put your lecture up on YouTube? <laughs> you know, you, you uh, know what? that's not a bad idea. Yeah, yeah that, that seems like it would make the most sense so that, you know, no one, no one really misses out. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, it, everything is scrambled. Everything is absolutely scrambled, but, uh, but, uh, you know, people, people already know about the crisis. You know, I'm not, you know, you and I are not the most qualified to talk about this stuff, but, uh, you know, so let's, let's talk a little bit about boxing, but let's, let's get into your background <laughs> first. Uh, so where are you from originally, Ryan? Uh, I was born in Hoboken, New Jersey. I, I grew up in Cliffside Park, New Jersey, not too far, uh, from there from Bergen County, um, uh, right over the river in New Jersey. Um, yeah, I, I started getting into boxing in high school. Uh, I went to the Union City Boxing Club uh, as a teenager. Um, I tried to box, uh, but apparently, like, you know, someone forgot to tell me you got punched in the face, you know, when uh, <laughs> that happened. So I uh, decided, you know, maybe it's not my thing. And also, you have to train really hard, and I didn't like to do that either. So, um, but I was really into it. Uh, my my first uh, real, like, heroes in boxing were, uh, I mean, I grew up, I loved Prince Nassim Ahmed, but um, also I loved um, Aaron Pryor. I watched uh, The mm-hmm. Legendary Knights when I was in high school, um, and I was like, and I, his story was, was my story. It was, you know, like I was kind of a, a little bit of a troubled youth, you know, I guess it was the term that, uh, you know, people would use for me. I was in and out of... Uh, um, you know, different group homes and things like that. So his story really resonated with me. Um, I, the idea, I, he had this one quote in Legendary Nights where he said, um, I, uh, I, I fought in Russia and no one even knew I was gone. I was like, I, I, I never fought in Russia, but like, you know, I could understand that whole thing of feeling like you're blowing in the wind and, you know, living by the moment. And, uh, so when I saw that, you know, I was like, this, this is my life peg right there. If this guy made it, if this guy could do something, maybe I can do something in life too. And, um, I watched the Muhammad Ali ESPN, uh, classic marathon. And, uh, I was like, Oh, I want to be like that guy right there. This guy's cool as hell. Like it was almost like he was doing a different sport from the guy who was in the ring with him. The guy in the ring was trying to fight him, but Muhammad Ali was doing his own thing. So I'm like, Oh, maybe I could try to do that. So I was like, 15 years old in the boxing gym or however old I was doing all these Muhammad Ali moves I saw on, uh, <laughs> on ESPN classic. And, um, you know, I, I actually remember one time I went to the boxing gym. Um, my trainer was a guy named lucky. And, and then later on, my, my, uh, I trained with another, uh, fighter named uh, Jimmy, the cat Dupree, who was a light heavyweight contender. In the oh Sunday. yeah. Fought Foster, and, right? Yeah, uh, well, he was one Bob Foster's uh, sparring partner. Okay. He was supposed to fight Foster, okay. um, but uh, he fought uh, Vicente Rondon. Don, that's the, right. That's right. He for, yeah. for 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 the title, right? Did he not fight? Him yeah, for the, the, yeah, for the WBA uh, title, title right. in right. Caracas, Venezuela. So I always, I always got to hear the stories uh, from uh, Coach uh, Dupree. Um, those are the, the people who I, I I learned about the sport from firsthand and. Uh, when I got to college, um, you know, when I, I went to Hudson County Community College, um, I, I decided, hey, you know what? After a year of this, I'm like, 
I don't know what I really want to do. Uh, I, I could I could keep doing business management. I think was one semester, and then another semester was computer science, and I had no interest in either of those things. So um, I said, why don't I just like you know I I, I like my English composition classes. Why don't I try writing? And um, I kind of took off. Like I I, I swear I, I never thought I would it would become a career. I just thought this would be my thing to pass my time, and you know, and here I am, like all these years later. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what was your first uh, job in boxing as far as writing goes? Um, you know what? I'm trying to think. Like, now, when you say job, do you mean like getting paid? <laughs> I, <laughs> I worked for a long time for free. Uh, I mean, I worked. Uh, I, I wrote for um, boxing scene for a long time. Back when boxing scene was first starting out to do news. Cause I actually, I was one of like, the first people who were on boxing scene uh, back in the day. And it was like, because they had like videos. This was before YouTube. So they had like boxing clips. And I would just watch those clips and you'd have to like download them there was no like there was no player that you could like you know <laughs> so i had to like download them and then watch them on a computer and usually like i didn't have my own computer until i was in, in college so i would watch them at the library and i was i was so addicted to boxing uh but um boxing scene uh they offered me like uh well if you want to write you know you can have your stories here and i'm uh, very thankful to uh, rick reno for uh having uh when I was like 19 years old, he was publishing my stories. So that was a lot of fun. Um, and I just a lot of small boxing websites. Um, and then um, actually the funniest thing was is that now my, my boss is Doug Fisher. Doug Fisher was one of the first people when boxing writing stopped, going, stopped being like mainly in like newspapers and magazines. It started, started going online. Doug Fisher was like one of the first like digital natives who I really got into. Uh, I think it was like House of Boxing was the website back then. Um, and uh, Steve Kim, I mean, I've read Steve Kim a lot as a kid. Uh, I mean, not, not to make them feel old because they're not old guys <laughs> at all. They're 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 a lot, a lot more spry than I am, even though I'm only 32 years old. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I used to read them a lot. Um, so I, I and the funniest thing was is that uh, actually, you know what? I'll tell you the first the first time I ever got paid for boxing writing, I was Boxing Digest. Um, uh, I wrote a story. I think it was about Nate Campbell, and I got a hundred bucks. And I mean, they 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 eventually went under. Like they didn't tell anyone that they were going under. But I think they owed me like a thousand bucks by the time they closed up. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least I got published, and you know, I have some of those clips still. Yeah, I mean, I, I think yeah, I, I'm sure there's a couple of websites that probably owe me some money from the early. The mid two thousands, there's a lot of them that kind well, that's, of went that's under. compounding interest, right there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, you, you hold on to those receipts. <laughs> so, Boxy Digest was that uh, Sean Sullivan was the editor, right? Yeah, Sean Sullivan was the editor. Yes, yes. Right, uh, so. Sean uh, was it, you know because Sean, Sean was always such a friendly guy. So I would see him at like fights, and he was not like uh, like scary. Like uh, you would think like an editor is a scary person. But Sean wasn't a scary guy, so. I, I got up the courage to uh, to pitch the story to him. I think it was like 2007 or so, um, and I, I said, "Hey, you know, because I'm always around Nate Campbell uh, down in Florida. I was I moved down to Florida for a bit, um, which is a funny story too. But like, I, I was Nate Campbell was there, and I was like, well, you know, he was supposed to fight for the title, and eventually, maybe because of politics, it will happen, and who knows? 
shows. And, you know, I just thought he had a great story. No one was talking about him. No one was writing about him. So I, I figured, you know, maybe this guy will do something. And then, of course, you know, like a year or so later, he becomes labor champion. <laughs> yeah, Nate's quite a character, too. I mean, I, I remember the first time I met Nate, he was fighting on the undercard of uh, ESPN uh uh, fight that uh, my guy was in the main event, Teron Millette, and man, Nate could just talk your ear off. I mean, he was like a that, mile, that a that mile a me. minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree, hundred percent on that. So he could talk. He's awesome. So you, you, so you work for Boxing Digest. I, you know, I see you, you, you covered the uh, Golden Gloves for the New York Daily News. Is that right? Yeah, you know, actually, you know, the other person I have to, uh, you know thank for this is uh, Brian Adams. And this, and this is a, a lesson that I learned that day. Because, like, I was at a fight. I don't remember which fight it was, but Brian Adams came up to me. He was one of the Golden Gloves at the time. Um, and he said, hey, Ryan, do you have a business card? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's my business card. And luckily that day I had my business card on me because a lot of times I don't have my business cards on me and that, that can always be a problem. But um, he, uh, I was like, oh, well, I don't know why he wants to. And I need a writer for the Golden Gloves. And I wasn't thinking about the Golden Gloves. Like, I didn't, I, I, I didn't put two and two together. And then I was in the Philippines on vacation. I think this is 2010, 2011, or something like late 2010. And I get an email, hey, Ryan, I need a, someone to write uh, to cover the Golden Gloves for the Daily News. Um, New York Daily News, are you, are you free to do it? I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to write for the Daily News. That'd be great. And uh, I remember walking in. You got to remember something. This was 2010. I was probably 23 years old, right? And I, I didn't have a whole lot of, like most of my education, believe it or not, I, if, if I had to be honest, I, if, if I was being objective about this, I would have left myself back every year from sixth grade on because I didn't go to, I didn't show up to, for the number of school days to graduate mm. uh, from all those years on, but they, they still kept passing me and they even skipped me one grade. I think, I don't know if it's because of my education, like I was so smart, but, or they just wanted to get rid of me, but they skipped me <laughs> seventh grade even. Um, so I, a lot of my education came from just me sitting around libraries and reading books. And, you know, I, I was, I've been obsessed with reading books since I was like, you know, since I could read like five, six years old. So like, um, so to, for me to go into the daily news uh, office and meet with these editors, um, you know, having been kicked out of all these schools and, and trying to like, I basically put on an act like, oh, I, I'm very confident about what I'm supposed to be doing. I remember I dressed really nice in the suit and I just tried to project that like the image of someone who was much older than I looked and someone who was much more confident than I was. And they, they worked out in the end because uh, they didn't outright veto and say, no, no, this guy, what are you, crazy? We can't have this guy be the writer. Um, but I, I always say that that experience, being the deadline writer, I had to meet two deadlines every day. I, you know, I had to, sh- I had to uh, this was before we had like mobile internet on phones. I had to buy a little stick that I could stick into a USB port on a laptop and uh, file stories on deadline. I would have one story, I think, I think the fights would start like seven o'clock and then i had to have um like 500 words by 7:45. that's for the um the the nation national paper and then i had to have another 500 words by like 10 15 i guess was like the citywide uh deadline so i that that experience put hair on my chest as a reporter wow yeah that's that's real uh that's real reporting man reading those deadlines two deadlines in a night that's crazy that's crazy so, so you did that for the Daily News. You also worked for a uh, you were a sports editor for a publication, an online publication in the Philippines. Uh, talk about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I spent uh, 
four years in the show. Oh, actually, spent more than four years, but uh, four years as the sports editor of Rappler.com. Rappler.com is uh, has become a very famous uh, news outlet the world uh, the world over because uh, my editor in chief there, my boss Maria Ressa, she was uh, one of the Time People of the Year. I believe that was 2018 or 2019. Um, she was on the cover of that um, because uh, the the current uh, administration has been trying to shut down Rappler. Uh, they actually pulled the our SEC license, and uh, that was one of the reasons why I had to leave. Uh, and uh, now I'm back in New York. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty around uh, that whole situation. But um, yeah, I, I, it was you know one of the great honors of my professional life. Uh, Maria Ressa, I still consider her to be uh, a role model uh, and a, really a hero of you know press freedom. Um, one of the great, one of the bravest people I've ever met. Like, I mean, she's all, she's actually from New Jersey as well. Uh, you know, she's Filipino American, uh, but she, um, she went to Princeton. She went over there to Philippines, started this uh, publication, uh, which, um, and I, and I also have to give so much uh, credit to all the other reporters there because they, are so fearless and um they're they're reporting they they have no fear they 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 tell the truth uh, they gather the facts even though many of them have been banned from uh covering the uh, official press conferences of the administration uh and it all starts with maria ressa that she is the the leader and if i could be half of the um half as courageous as her i, I would be um, in pretty good shape and um you know, I can't say enough about that experience. Uh, being, I, that was another time. I was 26 years old. They made me the sports editor. <laughs> Imagine that. So That's like, wild. That's I, great. I, I was uh, I was 26, and I was having to um, to guide many of these other reporters who were younger, you know, by maybe a year or so. Um, but I had, you know, I had a lot of experience because I, you know, I, I basically faked it till I made it. Uh, so yeah. I, I, I had, you know, I was, I was, it was a lot of responsibility and uh, in a lot of ways I feel like I read most of the occasion. There's some things I wish I could have uh, done better, but um, I had a great time. Of, I mean, to be a sports editor of a major publication like that um, at such a young age is really a mind blowing experience. So I mean, you know, obviously you're of a Filipino uh, descent, right? So y- yes. you know, uh, was it was it ta- Tagalog? I, I don't know how you. T- t- I I know a little bit of Tagalog. I actually learned it over there. My wife is Filipino. Um, I'm actually Filipino and Italian and, and Irish as well. Uh, but I, I basically grew up with my Italian family, so I had to learn how to be Filipino. I, I, I I'm pretty good at being Italian. Um, I, I have to I have to learn. Uh, I'm still learning how to be Filipino, but I've I've learned uh, pretty well. I um, actually there's a there's a famous boxing reporter by the name of Rafe Bartholomew from the of Athletic. Of course, um, I had him on the podcast. Uh, Yes, Rafe, yes, yeah. Rafe is great. Actually, he um he lived in the Philippines for a long time. He learned Tagalog really well, and uh, so I actually when I moved over there, I actually hit him up and said, "Hey, who was your um, tutor?" And he gave me the contact of his tutor. I'm like, I want if Rafe to learn how to speak Tagalog. I should learn too. But <laughs> apparently, Rafe is a much better student than I am, uh, and, and probably doesn't have uh, as much uh, attention deficit issues as, as I do because uh, he speaks much better than I do. You know, we've had the same. Uh, Twitter. Yeah, it's it's funny with Rafe too because when Rafe even speaks English now, he speaks it in like a Tagalog like uh, accent. So uh, he, he, he has a cadence. He has exactly, a cadence, like, he'll put that like, cadence uh, in there. Uh, it's like and, Rafe, and no, you're thing, speaking English, bro. You know, come on, man. It's, it's, it doesn't have to be in the uh, accent. 
<laughs> and and also like he because uh, his his Tagalog is like a very ghetto canto they call it canto like street Tagalog because he <laughs> he learned how to speak by like playing basketball and like talking trash to all these people <laughs> so like no he been playing like you know talking trash in, on the basketball court and uh, the the nickname they gave him over there is Paeng I guess uh, is like his, his, his they even gave him a Filipino nickname I mean this guy is. I mean, far better being Filipino than I am. I need to take lessons from him. <laughs> what 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 does that uh, translate to the the nickname? I don't even know. It's, uh, <laughs> but it's like it's just like a nickname that they gave him. Uh, I guess it's like I think it has something to do with like his name Rafe, and I, I don't know exactly. But he uh, he's actually believe it or not, he's really well known there. In the oh yeah, community. like yeah, like um, well, he's been he, on television he, a ton over there, right? And he was like an actor, right. um, and you know he uh, in sports like everyone like looks up to him. Like when well, I remember one time he went to the Philippines, and um, I was like, yeah, yeah, Ray Bartholomew, uh, you heard of him? Yeah, I heard he's in the country. And my editor's like, oh, he's here. You need to get an interview with him. I'm like, really? Race? Like, <laughs> um, it's just my buddy. Like, uh, oh, get him in the studio. And, you know, he was very busy uh, because he because that book was uh, to me. Here's the thing, and I'm going to give uh, Ray free uh, advertisement here. Uh, Pacific Rims, his book is probably the greatest book I've ever read by uh, a foreigner um, translating or relating to the Filipino culture. Like what he wrote, but he I learned so much from reading that book, not just from, about sports, but about, you know, uh, translating culture and, uh, and helping people relate to something that is so foreign, so different from what we would experience in America. So um, that, that is one of the, the greatest, um, not just like uh, boxing books, I've ever, I mean, basketball books I've ever read, but culture books as well. Ah, I mean, Ray, Ray's tremendous. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a great author, really, really cool guy. And uh, yeah, that's, that's that's a high compliment. You know, definitely everyone pick up uh, Pacific Rims. I mean, it's it's well reviewed and yeah, great book, great book. So, uh, so while you, I mean, while you were at uh, Rappler, I, I you con- you continued to work for the Ring though too as well, right? Like you were working for the Ring and uh, pretty, pretty sweet deal I got there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were the you were the 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 um uh, the writer for you know you covered uh, Filipino boxing then right? I covered Filipino. I mean, I covered whatever there was. You know what? I, the, no one else was doing Filipino boxing. And I, I, I'll say this is my mentality. Like when I was at like the school paper, um, I was always they called me like the garbage man because like I would I would let everyone else pick the stories that they wanted. Whatever they wanted, I let them pick the stories, and then whatever was left over, I would just pick it up. Right. So, um, in a lot of ways, like no one else was doing bo- Philippine boxing writing. Obviously, so I'm like, there's a lot of Filipino boxers. I might as well you know take this opportunity to write about them because you know what these guys were rated in the ring magazine's ratings they were just rated at 105 108 pounds right uh so like uh but they were still rated and world-class fighters and, you know, right exactly I, I, I got opportunities to write about like guys like Donny Nietes, mm. uh you know uh joe and Cajas, well before these guys were like well known like john Riel casimero um all these guys that you know became like well-known figures in boxing but I, you know, I was just covering them when they were fighting in front of like 50 people. Like I remember German Cajas, you know, about, I think he's had eight title defenses now, 115 pounds. I covered him in like a small, like really um, sparsely. It was a free event in in uh, Imos Cavite, and 
I just remember like it was like, you know, you would never imagine that these guys would become world champions and, and, and world figures. I mean, they were great fighters, but, you know, you always figured that they, it would be hard for them to get opportunities. And uh, so many fighters that I saw. Uh, over the so, yeah, no, I, I had a blast with that. And also it kind of helped me because, uh, you know, I, I loved, uh, you know, Ring Magazine was, was always my, my dream job. Like I, I always wanted to work at Ring Magazine and, you know, not just the brand, but also like the history and, you know, working with Doug Fisher and these guys. It's, I mean, it's just been a blast. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that, that brings us to, uh, to your article, which, which I I thought was really timely and really interesting. Um, uh, COVID-19, you know, that it isn't the first uh, pandemic to halt boxing. So, um, you know, Obviously, these are very serious times. Uh, you know, I can I could actually say there was a member of the boxing community who I texted uh, to come on as a guest for the show, and uh, they just happened to be very sick. Um, they've been tested for the virus, but haven't gotten the results back because of the overload on the hospitals and testing. So, you know, the the virus is real. It's affecting a lot of people, especially in you know the large uh, metropolitan areas. So. Uh, you know, but this isn't the first time we've had something like this here in the States and in the world. So, uh, you know, tell me about the, uh, the the Spanish flu. It was called the Spanish flu, which is a bit of a misnomer. But uh, in 1918, what, what did you get from your research? Well, yeah, you're 100% right. It is a misnomer. Um, it, uh, it, you know, it, it didn't start in Spain. Spain was the only country that was willing to talk about it because, you know, the world was at war and countries didn't even want to acknowledge that there was this vulnerability going around. And it actually, uh, I think it first uh, manifest uh, or it was first uh, reported uh, in military in uh, in Kansas uh but you know they, you know there was a sedition act that was passed by Woodrow Wilson, so people weren't even allowed to talk about it. Um, but what I was curious about, because you know, all these boxing events were being canceled, and I, I just thought, what, what would be like a parallel? Because even in World War II, there were fights going on, and all these other events, the fights continued. And I was like, well, I wonder, you know, the, the closest parallel was, I, I imagine, was going to be the Spanish Influenza outbreak of 1918 and 1919. So I I, um, I did a clip search uh, about that and I started reading and and then what, what struck me was that some not only was the whole the whole world impacted by this but so many boxers as well because while COVID nineteen is um, having its hardest impact on older people uh, you know the Spanish influenza it, it tended to uh, hurt. Uh, young people, people in their twenties, thirties, forties. So what you saw were a lot of boxers who were dying as a result. And um, mm-hmm. like I, there was like one story I, I found, like like a handful of boxers over like the past like two weeks had died, and this was in 1918. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of fighters were being impacted. Uh, gyms were being closed, uh, and bo- you know boxing didn't you know take place at these large arenas the way that they do now they took place in like small local boxing clubs where you know the guy from this neighborhood you know maybe like the irish guy from this neighborhood would fight the jewish guy from this neighborhood and you know that was you know the way that boxing was in those times and um so those clubs were you know either closed or a lot of them were about to open up because boxing was still expanding among the immigrant communities in, in America. They, they, they had to be delayed from opening up, uh, you know, during their peak seasons. So um, boxing, uh, you know, 
had, it was significantly impacted at that time. And in fact, um, battling Jim Johnson, who was a, a very famous uh, uh, black heavyweight at that time, uh, who fought, you know, basically everyone, all the, all the avoided, you know, black heavyweights at that time, they all fought each other. And this guy fought, you know, all of them multiple times, uh, as many times as he had to. He fought, um, uh, I, I want to say Sam Langford like 12 times, uh, which is that's a lot of hard work, you know, to do. Um, but he was uh, one of the uh, the guys who had uh, died in this. Um, so yeah, it, 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 Spanish influenza would be the closest parallel I would see to uh, to the way that boxing has been canceled right now. Yeah, it's funny with uh, with battling Jim Johnson. I always considered him like one of the lost kind of uncrowned champions because he he did fight for the title against Jack Johnson, and Jack Johnson broke his arm in that fight. And I think they cut it short and they called it a draw, but. I was like, damn, Johnson got, you know, battling got, got, got robbed, man. He should have been the heavyweight champ of the world. You know, yeah. guy fights you and breaks his arm. I mean, that, that's, that's a, that's a TKO, man. It shouldn't have been a and, 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 it, and he caught a bad break also because, you know, he was supposed to fight, I think, Langford for the 13th time, you know, the unlucky 13, um, up in Boston. No, I'm sorry, up in, uh, near, somewhere near Boston. One of those, uh, I think it was Lowell Mass, uh, and you know Boston had been uh, a real hotbed of where uh, a hot spot for the Spanish flu uh, outbreak, and uh, he was up there, caught the flu, um, and, and died right there in the state. You know, wow. was, and, so and he got he caught a really bad break there. And the and the fight the fight was the Langford fight was 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 delayed because of the flu, so he stayed in the, in the state. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess the, 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 the scope of the Spanish flu, too. I mean, you, 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 you touch on it in the article. It's like it infected, you know, half a billion people, which at that time was like a quarter of the population on the planet. So, mm-hmm. like, a, you know, 25% of the people on the planet got this. And, like, you know, millions <laughs> upon three, millions died. Yeah, it was just absolutely. I think 3% of the, uh, the world population at the time. Their, their estimates are, like, about 50 million people had died as a result. So, I mean, this was, this was a thing where, uh, you know, entire families, you know, had caught it. Um, I mean, everyone knew someone who died uh, as a result. Uh, I remember reading uh, in Philadelphia, you know, this is one of the things, um, the, one of the reasons why it's important to do this so-called social distancing and, and canceling public events. Philadelphia, you know, had held a, a rally uh, to to, um, to raise funds for the war bonds in that time, and um, and instead of shutting down, and uh, so many people got sick there and died. They were, um, every every day, um, I think it was clergymen were um, were coming by with real uh, with um, like wagons to pick up uh, the dead bodies on the street, you know, and uh, and bringing them to um, you know wherever they would be uh, deposited. Uh, I mean, people were and it, people were dying in the streets uh, every day. It was it was, it was such a, it was such a nasty disease that um I remember also reading that people would get on a train from Philadelphia and then by the and with no symptoms and then by the time they reached New York they'd be dead. Wow! So it, it it's something that was like it it could kill you very quickly once once it uh, manifested. Yes, yes. It was. It, this is you know there there were. Um, a lot of uh, attempts to suppress information about uh, this disease. Like uh, politicians were saying, this is the flu by another name. This is just the flu. You know, you get the flu every year. But this was uh, a far more um, uh, malicious version of uh, the influenza. I mean, people were getting pneumonia. Um, you know, healthy people in the, in the time of their lives 
were, were, were getting sick and dying. Uh, it's just striking. I, in the article, I actually, I list all these fighters, and there were far more fighters. Like I couldn't, I, this were only the people who I, really, I was able to uh, verify their identities through BoxRec. Uh, but there were some far more people. And, were, and if you look at the ages, that's where the most striking thing. You had, you had five guys 17 years old, you know, pros, you know, 17 years old, uh, amateurs were dying, uh, at least one boxing promoter, the guy who actually uh, uh, founded um, Trinity Boxing Club, you know, the famous uh, boxing club down in uh, in Manhattan, he also died of this. Lorenzo Snow, yeah, Lorenzo Snow, or yeah, Lorenzo Snow, yes. right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's it's really uh, you know, it's it, it was absolutely devastating, and it's it's funny because I mean, you hear now. Um, you know, the one common theme kind of from promoters from top rank, PBC, Golden Boy, you know, DBE, Matchroom, Sourland, whoever. It's like, you know, they all can't even really like reschedule events at this point because they just don't know, you know, when the pandemic is, is going to break, you know, and, 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 and lessen and, and allow mass audiences to kind of reconvene in public places. Um, you know, really, I mean, the, the only fight that, I, that I've heard that it really hasn't been p- postponed in, in the near term is supposedly in the UK, they're going through with uh, Daniel Dubois and Joe Joyce on April 11th. But I mean, we'll see. It's supposed to go on at the O2. But, you know, other cards, I mean, you know, for for May and June, they're not officially postponed yet. But uh, but but promoters just don't know. They have no, you know, it's not in their not in their hands, not under their control. So. Um, what could you like, like how long, you know, as, as best you could tell from your research, uh, did the moratoriums last, uh, during the, the Spanish flu? Well, the thing about, um, that struck me was uh, that uh, fights were, <laughs> were rescheduled pretty quickly, uh, relative, like, uh, uh, I believe Jack Dempsey, one of his fights, uh, was postponed. Uh, King Levinsky was supposed to fight King Levinsky in early uh, October of 1918, um, and then it just it, it went on in November uh, instead. Um, so I, I think that kind of, I mean, that would be very optimistic for for boxing as well if that was right. to happen. But I, I don't imagine uh, that'll be the case right now. I don't think you'll see fights that were taking place in March happening in April instead. Um, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of fights were, were postponed. Um, and I, and actually, cause I, I was, there was a New York times article about this and I was, I was, I was looking up these fighters and who are these fighters who were impacted. And I would just, I, okay. So this, this thing happened. Uh, Oh, this was supposed to happen then. Okay. So then it happened a month later. So if, if that happened, that'd be an amazing situation for boxing. I doubt it. I, I, a lot of the reporting that I've been doing has just been talking to fighters like, what are you doing at this point? Because, uh, you know, how, you know, imagine these guys, they train for two months to get in shape for a fight so they can have a great night. And then it all goes, to, I mean, I know me, if I, like, if I train for like a week and then like, you know, that's, it takes so much dedication just to, just to work out a week straight, but these guys are getting to the peak of their shapes and then they have to basically let it go to waste and then they have to taper down again and hope, you know, and they don't, they're in a holding pattern without uh, a fight date uh, or an idea of when this will resume. Like I spoke with uh, Charles Conwell, um, who was, uh, you know, trying to get back on TV after, um, you know, the tragedy of the fight with uh, Patrick Day. 
And um, he said he didn't know exactly when he's, he's still still in the gym because that's the best thing he can do, uh, you know, and he wants to stay focused. Like he's really a determined young fighter, um, but he doesn't know when he's going to fight again. So he's he's just in the gym working out like, you know, I mean, you know, kudos to him for that. Because I, I know a lot of fighters who are like, oh, I have no fight. All right, I'm going to go to the gym and then I'll, I'll, I'll have day one, you know, six weeks out. So. Uh, I think that just shows his determination. But uh, for a lot of fighters, there's a lot of uncertainty, and they don't know when they're going to be uh, able to uh, get another purse because you know, it, it's for them. If they don't fight, they don't eat. Right, right. Well, you and I were talking briefly uh, before we started uh, on the podcast. You said you've also talked to uh, – you have another story coming out where you know, you've talked to a lot of – you know, gym owners and kind of, you know, people in the trenches and, you know, in the, the backbone of the sport. And I mean, I know personally, you know, I, I don't belong to a boxing gym, but I belong to like crunch gym and they've, they've, you know, locked their doors. I mean, they've, you know, basically suspended everybody's memberships. What's going on at the local clubs? I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm almost surprised to hear that Charles is able to go to the gym and train. I mean, what's, what's going on at that level? Well, you know, here's the thing. Like, first off, you know, about Crunch Gym, the first boxing press conference I ever covered was at Crunch Gym. It was a, uh, Vernon Forrest versus Ike Corte public workout. And so, I mean, to me, when I think of Crunch, I think of boxing, you know. But uh, some of these, um, I mean, a lot, it depends on the states. Like, I, I spoke with uh, uh, one of my friends who uh, owns the State of Fitness Boxing Club in uh, North Bergen, New Jersey. And, you know, he was telling me, like, you know, the, the, the profit margin on a boxing gym is very small, especially if you want to have a real boxing gym. Right. Like, we're not talking about, like, one of these fancy places where, you know, you, you charge uh, $100 a session and, you know, $250 monthly memberships. Like, uh, those kinds of gyms, you know, they serve a different clientele. But if you're talking about a real boxing gym where you want to be able to make your rent and then, and then uh, also be accessible to young people who would have an opportunity to become fighters. I mean, you're really in a delicate spot already. And then you shut the doors and, you know, there's no, um, like I haven't seen anywhere where there's been a moratorium on, on uh, rents, for instance, like, uh, you know, there, there may be a moratorium on evictions, but you know, if a gym or, or a business is closed for three months uh, and there isn't rent forgiveness, you know, after three months, okay, well, you owe me three months rent now. You know, like, so it's, right. it's a very difficult situation uh, for a lot of these gyms. Uh, so I spoke with trainers like Heather Hardy. Uh, she's a trainer at Gleason's Gym. Uh, she was telling me that, um, you know, basically as of last Monday, she's unemployed. She doesn't have income coming in because obviously she can't fight. Her manager told her that don't even think about fighting, you know, that you're going to be fighting in 2020, you know, uh, regardless of what happens. Uh, and also, like, now she can't go to Gleason's Gym and work out with her clients. You know, she, she lives a couple blocks away from the gym gym but the gym's closed uh right. so you know she's uh, a lot of the gleason's um uh, trainers they're trying to do this thing where they they do trainings over facetime um on their phone and you know it, it's kind of hard because not every uh every client has the right equipment at home to do what they're supposed to be doing so it, it's very uh there's a lot of uncertainty there um i talked to another friend of mine uh, marvin simodio who um trains who has a gym out in l.a and um, he, he had a fighter. He, he, he trained for two months, you know, from Lithuania, the the 2016 Olympian. I forget his name. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, they they flew into Washington. They're about to fight. You know, they he made weight, and then the day before, oh, sorry, fight's canceled. 
Um, and he was telling me like he's he's at home, he's you know doing his best, you know, to stay busy and going on YouTube and everything like that. But you know, it, it, boxing's in his blood. He wants to be a, he he wants the thrill of fight night. <laughs> and, and then he's like, yeah, we're having a great time for now, you know, with my family. But you know, what happens in a few days when when I run out of money? You know what I mean? So um, I talk I talked to Eric Kelly, of course. Eric Kelly has a gym up in the Bronx, and you know, that's a that's a not a high income area. Like that's not a place that that's not like church, you know, street, you know, kind of. Um, uh, clientele. That's you know you're, you're talking about like you know kids from the South Bronx, you know who want a place to you know a safe haven uh, where they can you know box and learn how to box the way that Eric Kelly did at the at the Bedside Boxing Club when he was a kid. So um, already just from that, like you know we, you know he's not he's not making a whole lot of money with this gym. He just it's just something he it's like a passion for him. Um, it's it's gonna be hard for them to. Uh, to keep the doors open, um, you know, if they, they're not getting a bailout, you know, from uh, the government and they're not getting rent uh, forgiveness, um, what happens then to them? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's obviously it's not just boxing gyms, but yeah, for, for the purposes of our sport, yeah, it's just brutal, man, for the small businesses and ones with uh, small margins. Um, it's just absolutely brutal. This is going to be a, a really rough uh couple of months um you know just trying to get through this uh, i saw also you spoke to uh to david mcwater and uh, speaking of business owners and uh what did david have oh. to have to say <laughs> yeah you know i mean i i i feel for for david because you know he's uh He's a, he's a bar owner, right? He owns a number of bars uh, in Manhattan, and uh, you know they're all closed. I mean, I, I know that Governor Cuomo would say, "Well, you know, if you want to take out beer, you know, you can, you know, for only for this time, you can do takeout." But you know, who who's going to go to a bar and 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 not socialize? You know, what I mean, right. I'm going to take the beer. Yeah, I'll, I'll pay three times what I can. You know, I'll have to pay if I go to the liquor store and just to take out this drink. You know, I mean, no one's doing that. So he was telling me that he. He's losing fifteen thousand a day, you Oof. know. Uh, wow, which, which is uh, I, 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 that hurts. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, that's so it, it, it's really hard for uh, you know businesses in general, you know. Uh, but on, under the best circumstances, it's really hard. And then to also on top of that, you know, have to lay off a lot of your employees and things of that nature. It's, it's. I mean, this is this is a worst case scenario for for small businesses. Uh, you know, and a lot of them. You know, when you think of boxing, you don't usually think of small business, but you know, it really does impact uh, so many people from from the highest of the highest, like from boxing promoters. You know, to um, you know the people who would sweep the floors at the garden. You know, to the the gym owners. And, I mean, the trainers who you know the fighters. And a lot of fighters between fights, they they, they train clients, so right. they obviously can't do that in many parts of the country so um you know we're this this is uh you know this is a national this is an international disaster but for for the purposes of our reporting you know for boxing this you know boxers have been you know, and the boxing community has been hit particularly hard absolutely absolutely so in your research i mean is there anything that we can take from from that spanish flu kind of era and how they handled things you know is there anything we can take as, as a lesson uh, that we can use today Yes, and I'll tell you what it is: is that um, the reason why I feel a little bit better, a little bit better about right now than I did in 1918. First off, um, medical advances, you know, it's been you know, it's far. I mean, we, we've gotten a lot of advances since then that have uh, mitigated a lot of the issues that uh, that we saw in 1918. But um, also, um, 
I, I feel like uh, even though there's been a lot of talk that uh, America and the world got a late start on uh, some of the measures like social distancing to minimize the effects, uh, we're doing a lot better than than uh, than than the world did in Spanish flu because people were still out and doing whatever and. Uh, that, that's why people got sick. That's why so many people got sick because they, they didn't understand. Because um, even if you, I, in the the photo that accompanies my story about the about uh, the coronavirus and Spanish influenza, um, you see uh, the uh, active military. That yes, they had masks on, but they're at a boxing event, where, watching these fighters fight, and uh, you know everyone's packed in like sardines. So I think that <laughs> we're doing a little bit better than that. Like I mean, as as much as hard as it as it is for us to not get live boxing events, this is the right thing. This this is how it has to be. To you know, we've heard this term so many times, bend the curve. But we really need to do that because if we have, uh, you know, people will die unnecessarily if our uh, medical facilities are overrun, and we're already seeing that. I think uh, under the best circumstances, most of the time, uh, from what I've heard from somewhere, eighty uh, percent of um, the hospital beds are already occupied. So, um, you know, to, to further stress that system uh, is, it would be really uh, a tragedy, uh, you know, and would cause a lot of unnecessary deaths. Um, so that, that's this is the way it has to be. But uh, the one thing is that boxing still went on. Like that Jack Dempsey, I mean, back eventually boxing resumed. That Jack Dempsey fight that I, I, I had referenced earlier, that fight was um, postponed. But then, um, like a month later, that fight happened, and then a year later, he was heavyweight champion, and we had the Roaring Twenties and one of the one of the great um, eras uh, of heavyweight championship boxing with, with Jack Dempsey on top. Um, it, it, it went on, and I and I have confidence that in time, while this this might seem like a, a great inconvenience right now, and there's a lot of uncertainty, and and I feel for the businesses and the business owners and all the employees, and all the workers who are impacted by this right now. In time, things got back to normal we we i i listen i i became an adult and right when the, the economy crashed in, in 2008 so it, i i had i've had to deal with this before um we, we we had to restart and um i have confidence in time we'll restart again as well no i i i i second that yeah i mean i you know this too shall pass you know um uh, obviously, you know, we, uh, maybe it could be handled a little better at the federal level, but I mean, I don't yeah. think, I don't think any, no matter who the president would have been, I don't think anyone would have been completely prepared for what's going on right now. It's just, it's one of those things that, uh, it's, it's very, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not something you anticipate, although, you know, there are, there are some people out there like Bill Gates who, uh, who said this was his worst fear, like sometime back in like 2015, he was talking about how unprepared we were for it. So it was pretty prescient, but, but yeah, you know, I, I do believe that, uh, you know, this too shall pass. We'll see, um, if, you know, the numbers start receding here, like they did in China, um, I think China did a little more than than what we're doing. I think they they didn't do just the distancing and then the mitigation of the problem. They also had like literally had people out. You know, if, if you were going into a store, they would take your temperature to make sure yeah. that you know you're don't not running a fever. And if you were, boom, you're going back home. So I well, don't know. In the Philippines too, like uh, is that right? If you're going to a if you're going to a boxing event. Um, the, the the games and amusement board they had a rule that uh, you have to get your, your temperature taken and if you had a fever you couldn't enter the boxing event 
Uh, and of course, that didn't last too long because then they just said, okay, um, Luzon, which is the, the, the island to the north that has Manila, you know, which is, you know, the, the more, one of the most densely populated cities in the world, um, is now on, you know, virtually on lockdown right now because of, um, you know, the, uh, the explosion of cases there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, uh, it would, it would be a challenge for almost, um, any, uh, administration, uh, but uh, particularly one that like fires like its pandemic team, like right before <laughs> a pandemic, like, that, 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 that kind of puts you at a little bit of a disadvantage as well. Um, but yes, no, uh, you're hundred percent right. Uh, uh this, this, these are, uh, very trying times. And I think it's revealing uh, the character, uh, of many, uh, leaders uh, around the world. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's interesting. So you, you have your fingers on the pulse of, uh, Filipino boxing. Is there any fighting going on in the Philippines right now? Have they, have they shut it down or, or what's, what's the situation there? Now, here's the funny thing. So, like, you know, um, I, you know, we're talking about coronavirus right now, and this kind of ties into everything because I, I remember a few weeks ago, I thought oh, it would be kind of interesting to talk about how coronavirus is impacting boxing because, you know, it makes, it's kind of a worldly thing to do because uh, at that time, it was only something that was happening far away in China and, you know, in Italy, uh, you know, so I was doing reporting about that, but now it's like right in our backyards now, right? So, um, but um, my store, all my reporting has basically been about the coronavirus. And there's no, there's no use doing reporting that doesn't uh, in, uh, doesn't talk about how coronavirus is impacting a story because it's impacting everything in the world right now. So um, my my column in Ring Magazine, uh, you know, the next issue, uh, which uh, just I believe is going to print uh, either has already or will shortly, is about how it's impacting the Philippines. Like so, um, uh, John Real Casimero is supposed to fight Naui Inui, um April 25. Obviously, that fight's not happening. He's stranded in Nevada right now. Mm. Uh, you know, so he, you know, uh, Jerwin and Cajas was uh, supposed to defend his title on April 11th. He's in Manila. And the funniest thing was, is Sean Gibbons was with him. Uh, Sean Gibbons, of course, MP Promotions uh, uh, president. Right. And um, they, 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 they gave uh, all foreigners 72 hours to fly out of the Philippines or, you know, risk being stuck in the Philippines for uh, an extended amount of time during this, uh, I think they called it extended community quarantine. Uh, so they were, but they were going to close the airport. So Sean had to fly out. Um, uh, all the gyms uh, that I've spoken with uh, have been closed. Um, Ala Boxing Gym, which is like the most famous boxing gym in the Philippines, they shut its doors. They had to cancel our event on March 27th or 28th, I believe. Um, Sandman Boxing Gym to the south, uh, Jim Claude Moninkill, he was telling me, the owner of that, he also promotes uh, a bunch of boxers like Romero Duno, Ray Marcaballo. Um, he closed the gym and he was even telling me a story about like, he, you know, because he, he lives near the gym, he would work out a little bit, and then he would, you know, wipe the, the punching bag down with rubbing alcohol. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, all of these different measures that he was right. going through, uh, you know, it's to crazy. try and uh, uh, slow the, uh, the spread. Ugh, so crazy. Yeah, I guess, you know, pretty much worldwide, you know, other than it looks like the UK. I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens in the UK. I mean, I'm, I'd be really surprised if they do... Uh, I mean, Dubois, Joyce, I mean, it, it's scheduled for the O2, but, I mean, that, that's a huge arena. I can't imagine that the, they're going to... The way I think that this could happen, you know, not to cut you off, but sure. the way I think that, you know, because I, I heard um, earlier today in the press conference, uh, uh, Pence had said, Vice President Pence had said, you know, that there would be 40-minute tests available by next month or so. Um, I think if you could do that, 
where you could test a guy like the way that you would test a boxer for HIV or some other uh, contagious pathogen. Um, if you could test them like that and, uh, and then say, okay, we're only going to have like essential personnel. You do it in a television studio. Everyone's been tested, uh, not just for fevers, but if you have the coronavirus and then have a controlled group of people, I think you could do that in a television studio setting. Uh, I think, you know, to do an empty arena, I think is a little bit ridiculous, but I think under those circumstances, we could see, um, basket uh, boxing return. I know they've already talked about that with the big three doing something like that, where they combine three on three basketball with Big Brother, where they all live in a house together and they're all in quarantine basically, and then they'll play games against each other, uh, <laughs> knowing that there's no one there who's infected with coronavirus. I think under circumstances like that, um, we could see boxing return in some capacity uh, on a limited basis. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. I mean, I know a, a couple of people have talked about it on podcasts. It's just, you know, what, what you need for, like, essential television personnel, and then you got to figure the commission's got to be there, and the judges, and a referee, and the cornermen. <clears throat> you know, you're, you're, it, the numbers kind of pile up. I mean, maybe you could, like, you know, have, you know, obviously, you know, you wouldn't have a dressing room. You'd have to have... You know, people just maybe in stay in their hotel room until until they're called down for the fight. Um, but you know, you could theoretically, I, I suppose, have like less than fifty people there. But but I'm just thinking, you know, they were talking about doing this fight at the O2. I, that that makes just absolutely no sense. You know, I mean, no one's none, gonna... none whatsoever. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, but, I, you, you know, know um, go ahead. One of the things, like, um, I, I'm thinking like uh, another issue that you would have is uh, travel bans, right? Like uh, right. a lot of, uh, you know, getting people out of countries, uh, you know, to fly over, um, like in, like in one championship right now and, and uh, they're doing um, MMA shows or they, they have MMA shows scheduled for Singapore, uh, you know, in consecutive weeks. And Singapore has been done a really good job, you know, in, uh, you know, in getting testing, um, contact tracing, all of these things to uh, slow the uh, spread of, of coronavirus. Um, but of course, they, you know, they've, they've closed their borders, you know, the land border with uh, Malaysia. Um, so to get fighters in, you'd have to like, think, okay, who can we get that's local, you know, um, and wouldn't have to be subject to a 14-day quarantine where you, you, obviously you can't have the best training under certain, those circumstances. Right. So there's, there are a lot of issues that would have to be figured out um, under the current circumstances that we're in. Um, like, are right, you going to do fights like, uh, like if Top Rank wanted to do fights in Las Vegas, they would have to make sure uh, that, and, and obviously boxing in, in America has a little bit, you know, a lot more talent to, to look at than, say, Singaporean MMA. But you'd have to uh, figure out, okay, you get all these fighters, you know, they're going to fight in the top-ranked gym only or something like that, or a television studio, or maybe if ESPN has like a, a, like a satellite you know, office over there where they can set up a ring and put, a, put up some cameras. Um, I think that could work if you have testing where you are certain that um, you can test a person and right there on the spot, they do not have coronavirus. Yeah, I mean, almost to me, too. I mean, I know that each, certainly in the United States, like each commission, they generally have a, uh, a required number of rounds for each card. Mm -hmm. Each card has to have X number of rounds for, you know, to, to, to be able to put on a show. Um, I mean, it, it would really kind of suck to, to do it this way, but it almost, you know, if, um, you know, 
if they only did like the main event and like a co-feature or two, if they shortened the the number of fights on the cards and the commissions went along with it, I could I could see it being more manageable, you know. But if mm-hmm. you're gonna do like you know six or seven fights, I mean that's just a lot of people that you're gonna have to test, and you know just for just for a boxing event. Um, it doesn't seem really feasible, especially with the, the, the lack of testing and, you know, the scarcity of resources. I mean, I think we're at least a couple months away from, from getting our arms around all of that, but, um, like, I'll tell you like the other, because this is the thing where I think it's important though, because I think people need to be distracted. Like during World War II, people needed to see sporting events. They needed to see boxing. They needed something to boost their morale. Right. Right. People are stuck at home. Like I, the other night, I was watching uh, Melzer Taylor versus Julio Cesar Chavez, right? Mm-hmm. One of the great fights of all time. Right. But I had to in my, trick myself in my mind to not to, to think that I'm not going to expect that Melzer Taylor was knocked out with two seconds left. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so there's only so many times that I can do that. Like, well, maybe if I watch it this time, something else will happen. <laughs> maybe instead. Taylor will win um, this time. <laughs> yeah, may, may, maybe Joe Cortez, you know, just, oh, no, the fight, uh, yeah, much <laughs> of this right. is, let's, 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 let's test, tabulate the scores. Uh, I think that it's important, especially as we go further in, for people to make these decisions figure out i mean we have some of the greatest minds uh on the planet you know working at this issue i i feel like um after a couple of weeks people are going to start getting really stir crazy and i and i worry about that and i think people need to have something to boost them around something that reminds them of a sense of normalcy and i think that bringing back sporting events in particular will be really good for that um and you could and, and i think under certain circumstances they, these things can be figured out and listen nevada we we saw them bend over backwards to to allow Conor McGregor, you know, a guy who had a few amateur fights, you know, out in Ireland, fight against one of the greatest boxers of all time, Floyd Mayweather Jr. I mean, if they were able to like do some kind of like gymnastics to make that happen, um, I mean, they can figure out a way to like put on like a twenty five round boxing card or so, or or even waive that. Um, you know, that, that requirement of a minimum round, so whatever it yeah, is in Nevada. I think the commissions have the leeway. They they have the power to, 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 to make exceptions, I think, to those rules. I mean, you know, obviously uh, with the with the Nevada commission, you know, I mean, just just allowing MMA in, 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 the, in, in that state with those small gloves, you know, I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, for years, you know, they've been so, such sticklers, you know, in boxing with the gloves. And then suddenly the sport of MMA comes on with these tiny gloves. And the fact that they allow that, I mean, if they're going to allow that, I think you can uh, you can allow promoters to put on, you know, at least keep their like, you know, meal tickets, uh, you know, the, the, the big stars, you know, busy and keep their businesses afloat. Um, you know, to grab some of that TV money that's that's leaking away as well, and you know, it helps the TV networks as well. Um, you know, I think if you just maybe put on, you know, two or three fights at the most, or even if you just had to do the main event, you know, just even one fight, I think it would it would definitely help the sport and and uh, you know have them have them wash their hands between rounds. I mean, <laughs> that's <whatever>. right. <laughs> Mo, let's make it happen. <laughs> if they get Pacquiao Mayweather finally fight, dude, I mean, dude I they could fight in get... hazmat suits. I don't care. You know, just get just get them in there, man. Yeah, you know, I mean, they've, they've, listen, we, we we've been through harder, more impossible situations. 
listen, you know, Mayweather and Pacquiao, you know, come on. We, how many years do we wait for that? You know, right, come on. We, right. we, 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 we tackled the impossible before we made it happen. I think that, uh, you know, I think we could do that again. You know, and I, and I, and I'm just saying this as, as someone who really, um, is just concerned about people, you know, um, getting some semblance of normalcy back. I know for myself, like it was so crazy when I realized, wow, I'm not gonna have any boxing to watch this weekend. And at first I was excited because I'm like, okay, I can, you know, catch up on some of the older stories I wanted to do and talk to some of the people, like some of the older fighters that I'd, I'd wanted to talk to. And, uh, and then I realized, you know what, man, people, people want to feel like the, things are going to be okay. And I think that when you check out, when you watch boxing on Friday, even if it's like a show box card to see people out there living their lives. I think that, I think that helps people, um, their morale. I think it gives people hope and real, then it helps them realize that, you know what, we're going to get out the other end of this. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. I think, you know, I, I think there, there are some ways to, to, to actually put on the shows and, and, and do it safely and, and not, uh, you know, again, you know, with boxing, you have, you know, so many uh, medical tests that, that have to be done. You know, it's it's crazy. But, uh, you know, un- unfortunately, with the sport, too, there's also venues where you could go where the, the testing isn't as stringent. So if there's a will, there's a way. I, I, I could see, you know, within a couple of months, boxing, uh, boxing being back on TV some way, somehow. But, uh, and uh, luckily, John Ruiz isn't fighting anymore because you know social distancing. You can't just be out there <laughs> hugging each other like that. Uh, you know, I think this will be a this, you know this will bring boxing back to the 1980s where you couldn't just you know clinch the whole fight. You know, defense. You know, you kind of have to fight your way out. And they say, hey, listen, you know, it's, you know, social distancing, fight your way out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, there are actually, you know, even though uh, there haven't been, a, there's not a lot going on in the ring. There has been, a, you know, a few stories that have broken the last uh, week or so, and I wanted to get your thoughts on those. Uh, Tyson Fury, uh, uh, apparently, uh, his story about the uh, the wild boar meat that he was eating uh, has has been called into question. Uh, there's a, a farmer who's claiming that he was bribed to tell that story to uh, to UCAD. Um, which is, you know, if, if true, and again, these are just, you know, these are allegations. We don't know if they're they're true or not. Uh, but, uh, you know, if it's true, it does, you know, I mean, I think UCAT actually, you know, leaned a lot on that in, 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 in allowing the uh, the Furies to come back and, and, and not get suspended. So, uh, I mean, I know there were a lot of extenuating circumstances with that, but what's your impression of that whole situation? First thing I'm trying to think is like, like an uncastrated board, does that give you like um, like performance enhancing abilities? Like if you eat, like I mean that that was my first thing. I'm like, who in the world would believe something like that <laughs> in like a, a sworn testimony? Like, oh, oh, you, oh, wait, he he had uh, elevated levels of what? Oh, you didn't tell me that the board wasn't castrated. You know, like <laughs> I mean, so that was the first. You know, it's a tall tale to begin head. with. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you were asking a lot to to make me believe that. But um, I you know, UCAT hasn't exactly um cloaked itself in glory uh, in recent years. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think there have been a lot of concerns about um some of the ways that they handled some some of these instances. Uh, you know, there there was a they they came under a lot of cr- uh, fire uh, for the Dillian White situation and you know reporting and like transparency was a real issue there. So um, I think that, um, you know, the other thing is the farmer, why did he come forward now? That's my only concern because like, 
I, he 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 wasn't coerced like through violent means or something like that. He was, I guess, bribed. He said he was, you know, bribed. Like twenty five thousand pounds. He, yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, why would you come forward now? Where it's just like, oh, um, well, I just wanted to tell everyone else I was bribed. Was it his conscience eating at him or what? You know what I mean? So. Um, you have to kind of wonder how reliable of, of, of a, a witness uh, the farmer would be. Um, but I mean, I think that the number one thing to take away from this, you know, he, this guy needs to start castrating his boars because, you know, <laughs> we can't have any more of these tests uh, developing boxing. We've already got a pandemic going on. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, you, you cat has made some noises. I mean, potentially if, uh, if, if there's, you know, the, if there's some credibility with these, with these allegations, I mean, if, if the, the Furies are caught having bribed this guy, um, you know, if UCAD really did want to crack down, I mean, they, they could suspend, uh, suspend the Furies, but, uh, um, I don't know. We'll, yeah. we'll see. Uh, I, 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 I hold <laughs> we don't hold your breath. Yeah. No. Yeah. It doesn't seem like, uh, they, like, I mean, uh, you know, there, there, there was rumor that they were, in, in in fear of being sued out of existence by the Furies uh, to begin with, so that's why they backed off. But uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, one of the sadder things that 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 happened in the in the last uh, week or so was the passing of uh, Roger Mayweather. Um, you know, uh, the damn good fighter, trainer, personality. Um, what uh, had you ever had any interaction with Roger? Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, Roger Mayweather, uh, his passing is a real loss to boxing, you know, he, he'd been, uh, unwell for a while, you know, I, I had heard that as well, but, um, you know, he was just a, a real character boxing, he was one of the people that, you know, sort of made boxing what it is, like, I remember the, um, what was that one, uh, the show that they used to have on HBO, the Countdown, not Countdown, 24-7, uh, when he was talking about Bill Gates and, like, the computers or whatever, you know, I mean, he had these great quotes from 24-7. Um, I thought, you know, he was he, he was one of the guys who made that show special. Um, I, I saw him, I believe it was like a Pacquiao fight, a Pacquiao-Bradley three or something. And, you know, he comes in and like uh, to the media room and just like basically telling everyone, you know, like funny stuff, like just cracking on people and, um, you know... <laughs> <laughs> he, he he was Roger Mayweather, you know. This is you know what you get when you get Roger Mayweather. He's, he he had his own sense of humor about things. Um, uh, you know, I I, I really feel for uh, Floyd Junior because um, you know, in, in the, uh, the span of a few weeks, he lost the, the the mother of his children and and, and now his uncle. Um, you know, and uh, you know it's it's that's a lot for someone to to, to bear uh, in such a short term. Um, so uh, I feel really bad for the, for the Mayweather family. Um, you know, obviously Jeff Mayweather, uh, you know, one of the nicest people in boxing. You know, and that's 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 and that's an honest statement. He's really one of the nicest, kindest people in boxing. So, um, you know, and 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 not to mention Floyd Senior as well, who's had his own uh, battles with uh, his health, and and luckily seems to be have come out on the other end of that. So, um, yeah, no, but Roger Mayweather. I was actually having a conversation with Doug Fisher not too long ago when um, TMZ announced his death, and he said, oh the trainer of Floyd Jr., you know, he's more than the trainer of Floyd Jr. He was a great <laughs> world champion in his own right. And, you know, I mean, he was beating a lot of really good fighters. And, you know, he was someone who, um, you know, his own uh, accomplishments in the ring, uh, you know, for whatever issues were surrounding that may have limited him, he really accomplished a lot of things. So I, uh, I, I, I felt that like, they could have given him uh 
more respect, you know, by pointing out that he was this great world champion fighter as well. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to spend some time. It was, you know, so it was a few years ago. Uh, my my fighter, Darling Jimenez, was out in Vegas uh, fighting uh, Yuri Orcas Gamboa. And uh, Roger, I think, had someone on the undercard. So I happened to uh, to have a chance to speak with him. And uh, I just told him I was a big fan. And, you know, a lot of people don't realize, I mean, he won a world title in, in fewer fights than Floyd did. I think he only had about 14 or 15 fights when he beat Sammy Serrano for the for the junior lightweight title. Um, mm-hmm. He was a really, really good fighter coming up. Um, you know, wicked right hand. You know, really big for for the weight at uh, at junior lightweight. I mean, he was he was definitely a terror. Um, it, and, uh, it's so funny. You, you actually, so you, I had no idea you managed Darling him. I want to talk about boxers, you know, who are supremely talented and could have uh, done a lot of amazing things. I, I remember, I remember looking at his old MySpace and like thinking, like, does he? Like, he had nothing on his MySpace about boxing. I'm like, does he even like boxing? Because <laughs> <laughs> he was so talented. Like, I never understood why he wasn't like this yeah. massive star. Yeah, I, I definitely. Yeah, I was. I when I saw him in the Golden Gloves, I was like, oh man, I got to get involved with this guy because he's a super talented kid. He won the gloves a ton of times. He's the most outstanding boxer in the gloves a bunch of times. Knocked out and- Paulie Marlazzi. Knocked out Polly, yeah. When early on, and unfortunately for Polly, as he was coming up, he was in Darling's weight class, and yeah, he kept running into Darling in the gloves, and you know, Polly didn't win uh, the Golden Gloves, I think, until Darling turned pro, and and, and Polly eventually. Well, I mean, I think Polly won the novice gloves, and then uh, eventually he finally won the open once uh, Darling turned pro. But yeah, they were rivals. Uh, but uh, yeah, Darling, uh, I don't think he was ever. I mean, with Darling. You know, like if you put him in the ring, he could he he would box forever. Like he loved yeah. being in the ring, but running and training, he just was <laughs> not into it at all. And uh, you know, and he he liked to party a little bit. And I don't know, maybe his dad wanted it a little more than he did. I think, but a uh, really good kid, was, really talented I was, kid. I was close with Mike and Chando at that um, right before they fought, and. Uh, and I remember hearing like the stories, like oh, you know, the Dolly Jimenez guy's really good, but you know, maybe his head's not there, and, and maybe Mike can you know pull a fast one here. And uh, no, Mike didn't pull a fast one, and I, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately for him, yeah, that's probably uh, Darling's was, best win. Yeah, Darling uh, put put Mike out pretty, you know, face down. And uh, they, they even uh, the, the 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 Washington Commission. Uh, Stopped the, the 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 round a minute early yes, and yes. did all sorts of things to you know that you know happened just so happened to benefit the house fighter uh, Michael Chandler <laughs> but there were you know obviously that was a uh, a real coincidence and you know not by design but um, you know uh, it, it didn't help uh, Michael Chandler any that night right 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 no doubt no doubt but. But yeah, man, I, I got a chance to talk to Roger, and Roger was just funny as hell, man. Like, you know, he always was, even on 24-7, or any, anytime you talk to him, he'd always tell you, he'd be like, listen, the, the greatest fighters in the world cover the Midwest, you know, Thomas Hearns, Aaron Pryor, you know, Floyd. And I was like, well, Roger, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't disagree with you, you know, James Tony and all that. I said, but why do you think that is? And he, like, thought about it for a second. He's like, because they want to get the fuck out of the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, that is uh, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> yeah, that's Roger, yeah. man. Roger's raw but funny as hell, man. Funny as hell. 
Well, listen, yeah. too, with, with Floyd, I mean, people forget, you know, because, you know, Floyd started with his father and then Roger trained him when, when, when his father went away for a little while. Um, and uh, Roger tried to make him uh, into an, a more aggressive fighter, a, more, a fighter more like Roger Mayweather, where he would, like, come to people and try and put them out. Um, if anyone wants to go on YouTube and, and they want to see, like, probably the most exciting Floyd Mayweather fight, it would have been against... Uh, uh, he was known as Emmanuel Burton at the time, but it's Emmanuel Augustus, and and Floyd always talks about that as the tough as his toughest fight. But man, that that was a toe to toe war, and uh, Roger tried to turn Floyd into a slugger. But uh, pretty much after that fight, they realized, ah, you're better off as a boxer. <laughs> well, you know, not, not to you know, to say uh, take anything away from Kanati, like with uh, Floyd, he was he could do both, like especially when he's young, when he when he right. was when he was pretty boy Floyd, like. Uh, it helped if he had someone who was like throwing punches twenty four seven, like the way that um, you know Diego Corrales or Philip Nadeau were, or Jesus Chavez. Right. But the Chavez fight fighting. is another good one. Yeah, that's definitely good. Yeah, one. that was a, that was a, that was a great style for him as well. But these guys who would come to him, you know, he would he would, he would take them apart. But he, if he needed to, like I remember when uh, Demarcus Corley hurt him, and uh, you know Corley, you know, rocked him with a right hook, and then. Towards the end of the round, like it's Floyd who's backing him up and you know bringing the fight to him. Uh, I mean, Floyd had that in him. Floyd had that 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 pit bull mentality uh, when he was younger. Like everyone remembers Money Mayweather because that's when he made all that money. But when he was younger and his hands were good, I mean, he was he 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 could tear you apart like a pit bull on a tire. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah. What he did to Angel Manfredi, I mean, he just absolutely, you know just annihilated him in two rounds but uh but yeah i remember there there was definitely talk that you know because he was boxing a little more in fights that you know they wanted to make him more exciting and and roger was going to teach him how to be more offensive but then after the burton fight they're like eh, he's better off with his own style <laughs> i think it was the first time he got a bloody nose now yeah yeah burton drew blood that was you know anyone who hasn't seen that fight you know if you've got some time definitely go on youtube and, and check it out it's a great fight but but yeah, we'll definitely miss uh, miss Roger Mayweather, man. I, that that dude was a character, uh, you know, great fighter, great trainer. Uh, definitely gonna miss him. Uh, and, and of course, yeah, you know, he his big impact uh, in like the social media era is um, whenever anyone has any, says something stupid <laughs> about boxing, right. they say Y D K S A B. You don't know shit about boxing. <laughs> exactly. That uh, that quote is gonna endure for sure. For sure, that's gonna be around <laughs> for a long time. So, but yeah, uh, you know, R.I.P. Uh, Roger Mayweather. But uh, the last thing here, uh, you know, again, anticipating that uh, that things will be put right uh, within a matter of months, and let's all hope and pray that they will. Um, apparently, Canelo and Triple G have agreed to uh, to get it on in, in the fall, assuming it would be uh, Mexican Independence Day, uh, September. Um, uh, what do you? What, what's your impression of of of, of that fight? So wait, you tell me there's no Cinco de Mayo fight? Oh my <laughs> goodness! Um, you know what? I uh, I think it's I, I think that kind of is indicative of where Golovkin is right now. Uh, I think it makes sense for Canelo to finally get this off of his back. You know, this situation that he's had, where you know he he had two fights with Golovkin. And you know, can never really beat Golovkin, you know, the way that you know 
he should. I mean, I think he did better in the second fight than he did in the first fight. Uh, I think because when he got in the ring the first fight, he realized, oh my goodness, I didn't die. Like I, you mean, <laughs> you mean, you mean this guy doesn't have seven arms? The way that you know people were talking about him. So I think that. Um, I think that uh, in the second fight, he had a lot more confidence. And I, you know, for him, he was just like, oh, I'm done with this. You know what? You know, forget this guy, you know, whatever. But um, I think now that you, you see Golovkin's age is certainly catching up with him. Um, he had that, you know, what I thought was an amazing fight with uh, Sergey Derevchenko. Absolutely. Um, but it was such a mutually damaging fight that uh like i i was almost wondering if they were giving too much of themselves that night um mm. and uh so i think that um canelo realizes you know first off it's really hard to find i mean he has three or four weight classes he could pick opponents from but um it's hard to find names that are big enough to um warrant these massive paychecks that he's getting uh so um they you know if the zones wants the golovkin fight they've made it clear that that's part of the plan when they sign golovkin that they want a third fight um i think it's got to happen so um i i i i understand why canelo was like yeah i'll, I'll take him now yeah sure because <laughs> i mean canelo is looking amazing like i mean the guy just put out you know kovalev you know what i mean there was a big guy um a very different style than you know Golovkin but um I think though that um Golovkin has shown uh his, his wear and tear he's been in a lot of tough fights remember there were all these years where people were there was a lot of spin on Golovkin like oh Willie Monroe was able to hit him all these times because Golovkin wanted him to get confident I think it's just because Willie Monroe is a good boxer and right hands on I never bought that and, either no no one gets yeah. hit intentionally in, at that level man that's that's yeah, bananas that was bullshit yeah <laughs> like I mean there were all, the, all, the, all this myth of Golovkin that was you know don't get me wrong I'm not saying myth that he was a hype job he was a great fighter and 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 to a large extent still is but he was not like this invulnerable figure that people made him out to be and i think that um canelo i think is sensing it's his time right now he's got age on his side got time on his side and he really got all the the cards in his hand so he's i think he's realizing you know what i'm gonna go out there and and try and get this guy right now and and then i could just say well you know what you talked all this crap about me not fighting golovkin and i beat him now and what are you gonna say i'm so scared i fought him three times you know right right I mean, you know, on on the flip side of that, I mean, you know, I mean, you talk to Tom Loeffler, you talk to uh, Triple G, and you talk to like a, you know, maybe a slight majority of of boxing writers, and and most feel that Triple G won both those fights. You know, I mean, it's there's no two ways about it. I mean, I thought he won the first fight, and the, the second fight I actually scored for Canelo. But if you had it for Golovkin, I wouldn't call you crazy. I mean, it was it was a really really close fight. I think. Uh, Dougie had it, uh, had it a draw. I think I looked at his scorecard and mine, and we we literally differed on one round. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was well, like, like the, the, the tenth round he gave to Golovkin, I gave it to Canelo. So, uh, you know, I mean, you know, it, to my mind, you know, has Canelo really like beaten beaten Golovkin yet? I don't think so. So, so uh, you know, it, it'll be intriguing. You know, and 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 Canelo, like you said, I think he really wants to put the whole Triple G thing to bed, like. You know, finally, like you know, decisively beat him in a fight. Um, but it's also, it, you know, he hasn't exactly been like you know, uh, wanting that fight because they've been tough fights, They're the toughest fights he's had. So, so I know, it'll I think be interesting. They also, like kind of um, just the the presence of Golovkin has challenged Canelo's 
the regality, I guess, around Canelo. Like everyone has kind of like kissed his ass to try and get a fight with him because he's he's like you know remember they used to be the, the cash cow was you know for he's right. El Vaca El Vaca De Nero now you know what I mean he's <laughs> he's, he's the, if you want to make money you gotta you gotta be in the Canelo Alvarez business and Golovkin was one of the few guys if not the only guy recently who who was challenging that and like not giving him the respect I think uh, I think the the whole talk about the the beef um, um you know the the computer roll the tainted beef I think that also um, left a, a foul impression with Canelo. Um, but like Canelo, um, you know, he, he has this sort of aura, the way that Floyd Mayweather did, where he knows that, okay, I not only uh, am like the, one of the best fighters, um, if not the best, but I also control the economy of boxing. And I think that like, uh, you know, go, uh, while other people were like, you know, going out of their way to make themselves more palatable, you know, personally to Canelo to, to get consideration. Like when you saw Sergey Kovalev was so happy even after he got knocked out, he's smiling. He's like, well, you know, I got knocked out. I got $10 million for it, you know, or whatever, how much like, it was. Like it was, it was definitely in that range. Um, Golovkin hasn't been that way. So I think that that also kind of uh, has challenged, both, you know, the, you know, not, not just the ego, but you know, the, just the, um, the, I, I, I think it, you know, it was kind of um, uh, it was, it was in, in, offensive personally to uh, to Canelo. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely personal. Yeah, no no one has really gotten under Canelo's skin like uh, Triple G has, and and vice versa. So, um, yeah, I think I think the, the the rivalry is definitely real. It's definitely real at this point. So, I guess one one more thing uh, before you go. I mean, you know, I was just thinking about it, and you know, I haven't really, you know, it's just kind of one of those random thoughts. I haven't really, you know talk to anybody about it but like if this thing goes away or at least you know let's say it's not until around september or so you know like six months from now that 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 things start to clear and and they start allowing these bouts to to happen again you're gonna have like a backlog of a ton of fights <laughs> that uh that uh Going back tuesday night fights, i was gonna Wednesday say night fights, i'm just wondering night like fights. Budget wise, you know, does does uh, you know does does ESPN and his own do they do they do they do just like a big spend, uh, you know, right off the bat? I mean, do, do they not pace it? Do they just like throw you know massive fights at us week after week? I mean, it'll be interesting to see. Yes. <laughs> yeah, give me everything. Listen, yeah, uh, there's never been a time where I'm like, "Well, there's too much boxing. I can't right. handle it." Too much, too many good no, fights on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Give them to me, like you know what? You know, Rapid fire. USA. <laughs> yeah, call up USA. Tell them get back in the boxing business. Throw something on ESPN, the Ocho. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean HBO. Get you know, you know, get Larry Merchant and Jim Lampley back out there. Put, you do whatever you got to do to get all these fights settled, because right? there's, there's a lot of fights uh, that that have to be made up. And I think that um, people are going to be excited just to see. I mean, I'm at the point where like. I'm like, you know, I heard that Turkish soccer hadn't been canceled, and I was like, oh, I never thought about Turkish soccer. I might, <laughs> might, might as well give that a try. And uh, I heard that, you know, the uh, darts, you know, could be a pretty intense thing to watch as well. I mean, I'm so desperate for sports content. Darts, like, I mean, holy uh, schmoly! Wow. I mean, I, they, they have like Prince Nassim Ahmed type entrances for darts i mean like it was it was an, an amazing spectacle i'm like i'll watch anything at i'll this tell point. you i mean give the hearns credit man they they are some salesmen because anyone who can turn <laughs> oh, darts yeah. into a phenomenon is they they've got the 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 ability to sell something man because holy smokes 
Darts yeah, Barry, Barry Hearn. Barry, darts. Barry Hearn was the guy who made it. The, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. That, that's some marketing right there. That's that's pretty. I, I think one of the one of the greatest darts, uh, you know, uh, crossover um, events I ever saw was when they had a Pacquiao Pacquiao versus Mickey uh, um, Hatton. They were uh, on a tour, and then um, you know, 2009 when they, or 2008, whenever they fought. And um, Pacquiao went with uh, with uh, Ricky over to um, England, and they they for the cameras they played darts against each other, right? and Pacquiao actually beat um, Ricky Hatton in darts. I'm wow! Like, you can't beat him. In, I'm like, what the hell kind of chance is Ricky Hatton gonna have in a fight? You can't <laughs> beat him in darts. You know what I mean? But no, if you go to if you ever go to Pacquiao's house, right? Like he has a you know, in front of his house, he has a basketball court, and on the side of the basketball court, it's like full-size like regulation basketball court but there's also like billiards tables and darts you know uh boards like the guy is like super competitive like he's like a really good dart player and a really good billiards player so like don't ever like play against him like if you're trying to be serious or like and also chess he's, well it depends on like you know if you have the clock on you know he's yeah but he, in chess he's like you know obsessed with it too like he's really competitive he'll never let you win mm, mm. Unreal. I'm just thinking if, if darts can get big, I mean, why not like, you know, the little tabletop, you know, paper football, you know, yeah. <laughs> like sliding it across the table. I mean, you know, let, let's see if uh, the Hearns can sell that, too. I mean, my goodness. Well, you know why? It would be crazy to have, finally have like the, the table football um, championship and then like someone accidentally eats like uncastrated boar and then, you know, <laughs> and, and, and then that championship gets thrown out, too. I'm like, That's what right. the hell? Like, That's right. Is there no integrity in sport That's nowadays? Right. Jeez. That's right. That's right. Nothing sacred anymore, Ryan. Nothing sacred. So. <laughs> So anyway, my brother, I really appreciate you uh, taking time during uh, you know these crazy times to uh, to talk some boxing. Uh, re- really, thank you for uh, for your reporting. I mean, it's really interesting stuff that's going on, uh, obviously all around the world, and and we'll, we'll try and wait this thing out. But yeah, man, really appreciate your time. I just want to you know to to reciprocate because I, I really appreciate your reporting because uh, you bring a, a really good legal mind to uh, boxing. You've you've helped uh, me especially understand a lot of these uh, complicated legal matters in boxing through your reporting. And uh, you know, I, and I and I love your podcast as well. You have interesting guests on, uh, the least of which of whom is me. And. Um, <laughs> And uh, and also uh, now you don't have to worry about like uh, me waiting to uh, to edit and publish your story because I'm going to have a little bit of interest in this one. There you go, Ryan. This, this one's going up like within five minutes. I'll be psyched. Within five seconds, it'll be up there, and I'll get the best photos, and you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, my man. Really appreciate it. And, uh, take care, man. Yeah, you too, man. Take it easy, man. Okay, brother. Bye. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It In The Ring Network. I'd like to thank uh, Ryan for taking the time out to speak with me. Really appreciate it uh, during these trying times. Uh, If you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audioboom, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. Really appreciate it. It helps new listeners find the podcast. And also, do not forget to check my companion piece to this podcast on ringtv.com that features quotes and background on my interview with Brian. And until next time, so long, everybody.
what you was looking for?